Hey guys, welcome to the debrief. This is a debrief after our episode with Chris Giancarlo, crypto dad. We had crypto mom on the podcast. We have to have both sets of parents whenever possible. So we got mm-hmm. crypto dad on the podcast. It's fantastic. He wrote a book. I um, I didn't get a chance to, it's a thick book. Okay. I didn't get a chance to read the whole thing, but uh, I read many parts of it. Very well written. Chris is incredibly articulate. Also very like uh, human, mm-hmm. you know, like that felt like a very earthy human type of episode. Right. Uh, and uh, you said it was one of your favorites. Is yeah, one abso- of your favorites? A- absolutely. Why? Yeah. What do you like so much about it? I, well, I liked it too, but you really, really liked it. Yeah, I, I, I thought our flow, our flow was fantastic. And, and really it's just Chris adds in the perfect amount of very concrete, actionable facts and figures and evidence and education. And then does a really good job of connecting it right back into philosophy and thoughts and like concepts, right? So uh, this is this is what we try and do at, at Bankless uh, is we try and get like really, really specific, but then remind people about why we're talking about these very granular details, facts and figures and how it overall fits into the to the big picture of things. And so I, I think as a, I think this will be a great uh, beginner's episode for onboarding so many people into crypto and understanding the fight that we have to fight right here and understanding what we actually have to lose without really them having to know the details about everything when it comes to crypto. Do you know what it was? Uh, I was on the edge of my seat as he was kind of talking about when he went in front of Congress, right? Mm-hmm. And like, I was just thinking, oh my God, what a ballsy move that was. Okay. Right. So he gets summoned in front of Congress after the C- uh, CFTC is basically tacitly approving think just not blocking, but like approving a Bitcoin futures contract. And he he knows he's going in there about to be grilled. Mm -hmm. So he's like, hey team, let's put together this epic report. They put together like a 60 page report, Mm -hmm. right? And on the spot, he's looking down at the timer and he's like, Nope. It's classic. We know this meme where they're like, (laughs) I have all these notes, but I'm going to tell a human story. It's it's something out of a movie, man. It's so ballsy though. Like imagine, imagine doing that. Like probably one of the biggest moments of, you know, uh, I'm sure he's had many exceptional moments, but a big moment in his life. Mm. And he decides after all of the preparation, I'm just going to wing it. And I'm just going to tell a story about my kids. Mm -hmm. And so he tells this story. And it becomes kind of a, I think all of Congress heard it, yes. first of all. I think yes. if he had regurgitated facts and figures and arguments from a 60-page paper, no one would have listened. Mm-hmm. But then the internet heard it as well, right? right? And yeah. like, um, we found a champion mm-hmm. in Congress who's actually going to say the shit that we would say, we wanted to say, which is, our generation doesn't have a voice. We need you to listen. This is right. a real thing. Stop dismissing it. Right. You guys owe it. It's not just a phase. It is not. Yeah, it's not just a phase. <laughs> and there's there's dad in there fighting mm-hmm. for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a really cool story, and it's great to hear. Uh, great to hear him articulate it that way. Yeah, and if you watch the video, which I highly recommend listeners go watch that video, we told you to at the end of the action items of the podcast. If you haven't watched the video, the first thing that I don't know who responds, who uh, which person responds to 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 Chris, but so, somebody responds to Chris, who's part of like Congress, like grilling him about it, right? And he goes like, "Ah, oh, yes, I've also noticed this." In my kids as well, right? and you, <laughs> and you wouldn't you wouldn't have gotten that if he was like just eating out facts and figures, right? And so this is why this is why I really like this episode is and what is really missing from our regulators is 
the human element of things, the story, the, the person, the listen persons, to your kids, listen, listen to, to your kids, right. You. Let's like, remember about real people. Why are we regulating these things in the first place? It's for the people. It's for our, our future. And who you know, are our future is other, no other than our, than our kids. And so I think uh, the whole strategy of just like throwing out the figures and telling a story, stories are powerful. Stories are how We need to do that lands. more, David. Absolutely. We need to do that more. It's like, it's back to like, so many, so many politicians, people in politics want to other, other people. Like they want to other the right. crypto industry, right? Even this term, shadowy super coders. Right, yeah. What the yeah. hell? Like, like f- fuck off, Elizabeth Warren. I mean, like who, who are the, we know, is Hayden Adams right. a shadowy super coder you no. need to be afraid of, right? <laughs> like how about Austin Griffith? Right. I mean, yeah, the most heartwarming sc- guy in ra- around. Yeah. Like we know these people. These yeah. These people are, these are, are our friends. Kids. They're your friends. They're your nieces. They're your nephews. The, these are individual people. Stop othering them and actually right. listen to them. Right. Right. And mm-hmm. that's what, that's what his message was, which is super cool. I, way, I think the, the, another favorite part about this whole story that I really, really enjoy is that uh, Chris named his book Crypto Dad, and so it's it's like he took on the oh, name. My my kids like me. I'm so proud. They they actually like me. Like we imagine like uh, having a, a parent like having their kids actually like them is must be really really just like you know. Oh my bad. god, god yeah, it's huge, right? I mean, yeah, I'm I'm a dad, and when my kids say I'm cool, it's just like yeah, yeah. you're the cool yeah. nice. I, I it's cool like, dad. Yeah, that's like that's like the best. And I bet I bet um, his kids i'm sure uh heard that his dad was like their their dad was mm-hmm. like speaking up in front of congress for crypto mm-hmm. and we're probably uh pretty proud of that moment pretty proud absolutely of you know is also in his book there's a little tidbit of um apparently he became known in washington as crypto dad as well and so oh, really? one of the, yeah so one of the first times he went to the white house i guess this is so he was appointed by obama and then he uh his tenure extended into the um the trump white house and so he's in the uh, meeting Trump for one of the first times, I believe. And I guess after the meeting, um, Jared C- Kushner pulls him aside and is like, I hear your crypto dad. I want to understand Bitcoin. Can we go and like talk about it later? <laughs> he was like, hey, will you tell me about this Bitcoin thing? And, I heard it's going to yeah, go up. <laughs> I just love that because that is like the, yeah, that's what everyone says, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, I heard you're in crypto. Can you teach I want to understand like Bitcoin, please help. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> and he's like their go-to for that anyway that's, uh, pretty funny that, that's amazing that's amazing yeah, yeah. And, um i really am bullish on the future of chris's career he's he's doing the thing where he uh he left the cftc he's now going into the private sector we didn't have a chance to actually ask him where he's headed but uh wherever he's headed I, i'm i'm watching i well, want to see doing where this he goes thing with uh digital dollar which is really cool. We didn't get a chance to talk about that, but he's a big advocate for the U.S. investigating a public-private relationship with um, the industry to bring about something like a central bank digital currency, but like not in a China-implemented way, something that preserves our economic um, and civic freedoms. Uh, so that's something cool he's doing. I think he's on various like you know boards as well. He's also um, a legal uh, like counsel at a law firm, so. I- he's doing so much and I expect he'll, yeah. And I expect he'll continue to serve this industry. It feels like, um, this industry has red pilled him too. It has like, you know, once, once you kind of fall in love with the values of crypto, like then you're in it. You're unstoppable. It's like, it's like too late. It's like, it's got you. 
Yeah, you Chris know? feels like he's retired and now just doing exactly whatever he wants to do. Yeah, right. Yeah. Like it, retired people, like they still go and do things. They don't like just like sit on the beach and drink margaritas. It they seems like Chris things. Chris is in that retired mode. It's like, hey, I'm going to do something that I deeply align with now that I'm a, in a phase of my life where I'm actually enabled to do that. But I'll say the same thing I, we said after the Brian Quintens uh, meeting, who's, by the way, also saw, it seems like sees Chris as kind of a mentor. Brian mm. Quintes, of course, was... Um, right. A, uh, a a chair of the CFTC, one of the commissioners, excuse me, not the chair. Um, anyway, is the, the thing I said after that conversation is my only regret is that you're no longer a regulator, right? Because right. like we need you, right? Like mm-hmm. we need people like you who are going to stand up for these freedoms and going to be advocates for innovation. We need these people in government, and mm-hmm. if all of them leave, uh, enjoy the. Were they leaving for- behind? Yeah. Yeah. And then maybe there's a broader conversation as like, hey, why are the people that we really, really resonate with from the crypto industry, why are all of our favorite regulators no longer regulators? Like, did they get pushed out? Is the culture not good for them anymore because they're positive towards it? Right. Who else do we have? We have Hester Purse. We've got Hester Purse. Yep. Is there anybody Mm -hmm. else? Oh, gosh, not not inside that I know of. Yeah. And by the way, we'd have any of them on our podcast. So any regulator who wants to come on the podcast, you know, right. we've invited Gary Gensler on yep. before. He hasn't accepted our invitation, but I yeah. uh, would love to have Gary. He doesn't like podcast. our memes. I guess. I don't know. He'll, maybe, maybe he'll change his mind. Right. Um, so that was interesting. Uh, you really enjoyed that, that futures conversation too. Right. So like, mm-hmm. what were your takeaways from that? Yeah, there, there's just the big uh, complaint that people have about a non-spot based ETF, because if you, you, if you were somebody that hasn't, been able to allocate for Bitcoin or just doesn't want to do the whole self-custody or or just you are familiar with your own brokerages and Coinbase scares you, which is a lot, a lot of, even Coinbase is the most like, you know, you know, uh, professional, like good exchange for crypto exchange. A lot of people in the world, especially the older generations, they don't want to go off of their brokerages, their TD Ameritrades, their, their whatever. Or they can't because they're locked into like or, a 401k or, they can't. or something. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And so with a with a Bitcoin ETF, one of the reasons why a Bitcoin ETF is so powerful is because it puts Bitcoin into the places that people are familiar with trading. So they can buy Bitcoin in their uh, in their local brokerages that they're, that they're comfortable with. There is a big conversation in the crypto world that a spot-based ETF is the gold standard and a futures-based ETF is a big compromise because if you buy a, a spot-based ETF, if you put $100 into a spot-based ETF, that is $100 that goes out and purchases Bitcoin on spot exchanges. And so there's a direct relationship between the price of uh, the ETF and then the, also the, the underlying value, right? Like more volume into a spot-based ETF just creates more buying pressure on the secondary market. And so these things actually can increase the value of our Bitcoins. That's what everyone's concerned about. Everyone wants their, their Bitcoin bags to pump. And so I really wanted to go in and uh, ask, ask Chris, who's like intimately uh, involved with how these things actually work. What is the discrepancy between price discovery of a futures-based ETF and a spot-based ETF? And then Chris, very smartly, also separated the futures-based ETF between cash and physically settled. And I think his answer was, Maybe it's more indirect, but at the end of the day, all uh, price discovery for all commodities ends up on the futures markets, no matter what, regardless of cash, regardless of um, physically settled, just because like the amount of volume go through these goes through these things ultimately downstream does create the positive or negative price appreciation or depreciation in the underlying asset. Uh, and so I think it's just a factor of like, how direct is it? But if the if buying a futures based ETF with you know, a significant volume 
happens on month one and that price change doesn't happen until month two, three, or four. To yeah. me, it's like, oh, fine, fine. Like whatever, I can wait yeah. four months. I've been waiting like four years for a bull market. That, like, that was whatever. my takeaway. So my mm-hmm. takeaway is the reason that futures, he, the reason he said that futures kind of set spots mark is because it's so much bigger. It becomes so right. much bigger and it absorbs mm-hmm. all of the liquidity versus spot. And that happens right. generally in almost all commodities markets, right? Mm-hmm. Of which Bitcoin and, and Ether are kind of commodities. So that was kind of the reason. But um, another interesting byproduct of all of this that I hadn't really tapped into fully is the U.S. Uh, dollar enjoys this special privilege of being kind of yeah. the, the unit of exchange, unit of account of all of these right. commodities, the wheats and the silvers and the golds and the oils of the world, right? Uh, and it is in the best interest of the U.S. dollar governance, uh, mm-hmm. um, dominance to actually price Bitcoin in dollars rather than have it Bitcoin settled and also ETH in dollars rather than ETH settled, which is uh, also somewhat interesting because from the dollar's perspective, what are these things? They're just, you know, another- Expressions of the dollar. Yeah, they're just another commodity and we want to price everything, all commodities into the dollar. That's the dollar, you know, supremacy version of the world. Yeah, the um, idea is that the dollar wins the thumb war, right? Like, hey, it's great yeah. you can have your Bitcoin, but like you got to pay in dollars. Yeah, you got to pay in dollars, and like we don't see oil priced in Bitcoin, do we? Right. We see right. the opposite, right. though. We see Bitcoin priced in dollars. But what what is also interesting about this is because I think um, so. You know, here's kind of like my evolution of thinking about Ether and Bitcoin is like so. I know you know Chris is talking about like these things are clearly commodities, and I get maybe from a regulatory perspective, my evolution of thinking of Bitcoin and Ether is actually they're not commodities. They're just currencies that pay for commodities. They're monies that pay for commodities. And the commodity itself is the block space. The mm. commodity itself is Bitcoin block space or Ether block space, all right? So they actually aren't commodities. Mm. Like Ether block space is the commodity that you buy, but they are the, the unit of account, the petrodollar, if you will, for that commodity, right? And right. this this goes back to like the um, block block space utility is the path to monetary supremacy thesis mm-hmm. that I think both of us share, which is like the route uh, Ethereum is going down, which is like, let's maximize the value of, of Ether's block space. And once you do that, then Ether becomes more valuable because it is the, the money of block space. It is the petrodollar of... Ether, Ethereum's block space, right? And so it that's how it increases its monetary premium. But it's actually not a commodity. The right. block space is the commodity. Okay. Yeah, we we gotta we gotta unpack this. And I think this is a great discussion. Uh so you're saying that like no Bitcoin and Ether, these are currencies. The commodity is the block space that these currencies can purchase. Totally. But those you can actually you can't separate those two things. Those things are two sides of the same coin, which is why like a lot you of people can though. I think you can I think you you can't you can and you can't. Right. Mm-hmm. So like, um, I mean, when we think about the price of block space, mm-hmm. how often do we quote it in dollars? Like almost always like each transaction right. fee, this cost me $25 or $50 right. or whatever. Right. That's very much a separation of these two things. But yes, with, with, with Ethereum's economic mechanisms like EIP mm-hmm. 1559 and you know, it being basically the petrodollar of Ethereum block space. Yes, they're super interrelated. Right. But they are also are different. Right. Yeah. Right. They're the demand for Bitcoin too. block space is actually distinct for the man's demand for Bitcoin itself. Yeah. Right. right. And I exactly. guess that is the whole like um 
the whole point about some of the innovations behind Ethereum with both proof of stake and EIP-1559 is actually we're trying to get those things closer and closer together. Totally. So Ethereum is trying to make that link happen even more. Yeah. And so we all, we always talk, not always, a lot of the things that people say in, in the world of what these crypto assets are is commodity monies, right? Yes. Where you're saying well, you have the Ether as the money, you have the block space as the commodity. Well, there isn't so there isn't a complete separation between these things. So you kind of have to talk about them in the same stride, making Ether commodity money. Yeah, it is. It is a distinction. And again, this is like, I feel like this is like a, a 301 course distinction. Right. So at the 101 or like 201 level, I'm like, yeah, mm-hmm. Ether's a commodity. It's a commodity money. That's fine. Mm-hmm. That's fine. Mm-hmm. Ether's a commodity. But actually at the 301 level, I'm a bit more like evolution of thought here is Ether is actually a currency. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's still a currency. It's still a money. Right. Uh, it's just Ethereum block space is priced in ether right. the same way oil is priced in petrodollars. And so it achieves monetary supremacy that way. The interesting thing about Bitcoin's path, of course, is it's like our block space is valuable because Bitcoin, the asset is valuable. And that's why you want to pay for Bitcoin block space. Cause that's the only trustless way to actually send Bitcoin. Right. Mm-hmm. So in in that way, Bitcoin block space is very related with Bitcoin, the asset demand. But with Ethereum, you know, Ethereum block space has so many other use cases right. that are different than like use cases for Ether. But they're separate markets. Like I could be bullish on uh, Ethereum block space, but not bullish on Ether, the asset, right. like, potentially. Mm-hmm. But yes, they are moving closer and closer together with some of this economics. Anyway, that was a total segue. Yeah, this is very little to do, but it, I mean, it has to do with commodities, but yeah. uh, not necessarily with the Christian Carlo podcast. <laughs> no. But oh, to, to tie a bow on this, I think like the cool thing about Ether is the increase of the value of Ethereum block space is it has a direct relationship with the increase of the value of the currency. So yes. like when people complain about high gas fees, it, which is a totally valid complaint, a byproduct of high gas fees is a high Ether valuation. Like these are inter- high security, in, high, high security. security. But high high gas fees implies high utility of the block space, high value of the block space. And well, how if the block space is really valuable, how do you pay for that? Well, it's with ether, making ether really valuable. Yeah, dude. I'm when people complain about gas fees, like I hear you, but you're also like thinking like this is a game of checkers and like this is like chess. This is like 3D chess. Like I, I don't understand mm-hmm. the the very one-dimensional thinking on that. Like right. um mm-hmm. anyway, why don't we just remove the gas fees, David? <laughs> Just yeah, we could. Ethereum I'll just run Ethereum fees. on my own computer, and you guys can all just use that. <laughs> I'll, I'll remove the gas fees for you. Uh, I love this line. Back to Chris. Money is too important to be left to central bankers. That's super mm-hmm. cool. Right? Uh, yeah, that, that just it talks about the concept of money as a public good, money yes. as public infrastructure, something that we all use, all tap into, and we all get to. And when he's saying like money is uh, should be out of the control of central banks, he's like, hey. People determine what is money and governments can do some like nudging. It's like, Hey, use the dollar because you have to, because you have to pay taxes in it. And people will go along with that if they don't have any better option. But as soon as there's a better option on the table, like money inevitably leaves the hands of people that control it. So if there's too much control, people are going to use a different money. Yeah. They don't have the legitimacy, right? right? Central bankers don't have the legitimacy. They could have, but they ruined it. And they have to gain it back, right? That right. that's also like remember when we had Eric Peters on? He mm-hmm. was like, let's say there's no such thing as hyper Bitcoinization. Mm-hmm. At least the existence of crypto keeps central bankers in check. And that in and of itself right. is a huge benefit 
right. to humanity is like this ability to opt out, this ability to exit. And uh, I definitely agree with that. There's one framing that I think is interesting, like a mental model that um, I'm wondering if, if Chris is going to like um, wrap his brain around a little bit. But like I noticed in his book and even a, a few places in the conversation, he talked about the difference between like public and private sort of, um, I, I guess, uh, sort of institutions um, doing things. And whenever he said the, the public term, he always meant government. Mm-hmm. And like whenever he, he said private, that was like all innovation, commercial, private side of things. What's interesting to me is like Bitcoin and Ether and Ethereum they're very much on the public side of things. Right. Uh, public infrastructure. Public, public infrastructure in the same category as government, actually. Right. This and is what so, governments are supposed to do. They're supposed to protect our public utilities. Yes. Our public goods. It's And, and I, I just think that mental model is important moving forward because there's not like public, which is everything government, and then private, that's everything non-government, mm-hmm. right? And like, so cryptos in the private camp, including right. Bitcoin and Ethereum, mm-hmm. it's like, now, some of these base level protocols are actually in the public side of things. Right. They're just not nation states. Right. They're just not governments. Right. They're, they fall in the same category as having clean air and clean water. And yes. we also want a secure Bitcoin and a secure Ethereum. These are the same fights. Or like gold is, I guess, a public good. It's just a scarce public good. Would you say that? I mean, it's the institution of gold is yes. Gold as a network. Oh, this is hard. That's hard. That's a hard one. Yeah. Uh It's too, too deep a thought for the debrief. Right. (laughs) I'll have to chew on that one for a little bit. Um, Yeah. Any, any other thoughts when he was comparing the CFTC and the SEC, any takeaways, but by the way, people forget David, Mm -hmm. Gary Gensler was the chair of the CFTC as recently as 2013, 2014. Oh, I did not know that. Did you know? I did not know that. Not at all. Yeah, he yeah. was there. I, I I watched while I was doing some homework for the show. Uh, after I finished up watching a YouTube show with uh, Chris, uh, uh, an episode of Gary, uh, YouTube video of Gary Gensler came on of him lecturing at MIT. Yeah, and like it's so I just don't get it because I don't get how somebody can understand deeply how these systems work and not believe in them in the way that that we believe in them, and instead I believe kind, in them by I, by heavy regulation. I kind of connected. A, a, a few more dots after Chris gave his explanation, mm. which part of his explanation was it's because the CFTC is a less political animal right. than the SEC. Right. And he gave two reasons for this. One reason is because like he, he commented on the, the ag um, committee that, that governs over CFTC, the agricultural Midwestern farmers versus like, I guess like banking just the SEC, right? And the other is um, the CFTC's charter is not as broad. It's just like, you don't have to protect investors. You just have to, you know, fair and efficient kind of markets, mm-hmm. right? So like, let all of the markets flourish and like, let it be free and, and right. open. Whereas the SEC has been shackled with this loaded investor protection right. kind of, mandate and charter. And that is at the, at the protocol level, much more easy to politicize and weaponize. And so like there's Gary Gensler and what he personally believes maybe. And then there's like Gary Gensler when he is, you know, trapped or caught in that wheel of the sec political machine. And it's just being used 
um, you know, f- for some political agenda, which I think was an interesting contrast point anyway. Yeah, I, I, I really want to pick Gary Gensler's brain. So may, maybe I should be more optimistic that he comes on the podcast because that's how we get people on podcasts is we are optimistic that they do. And hopefully that works out. That's how it works. <laughs> um, but man, like I'm not, I don't have so much faith that Gary Gensler, there's a different Gary Gensler than the one that works at the SEC. Really? I kind of think that I think he believes in what he's doing. Well, I think it would be an interesting analysis, which I haven't done, of um, what did he do at the CFTC during his Mm -hmm. chairmanship. And my understanding was that that was very much about, it was on the back of like 2008, it was very much about implementing Dodd-Frank, right? Right. So like maybe he's he's an implementor. (laughs) (laughs) It's what he does, right? Uh He just implements things. Maybe that's part of the reason that he is asking Congress for something new to implement on crypto. Right. So he's like, give me something. I want to implement right. something Yeah, because this is chaos. So maybe right. that's what he is. I don't know. Got to sc- scratch my implementor itch. Like, <laughs> I haven't implemented things in, in three days. I got to implement. Oh, he's really good at it. So <laughs> um, yeah. And uh, you talked about the courts. Mm-hmm. Uh, you are gung-ho about the courts. Right. Uh, Chris made some interesting counterpoints. What were kind of your takeaways from that? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I am not a legal mind at all. And so like when Sir, I say, yeah. yeah, don't discount yourself. <laughs> Best um, legal advice I've heard is from David Hoffman. here. <laughs> Some people are going to take that seriously. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, like, Hey, I'm, I'm a big fan of, of fighting. I mean, not actual fighting, like fight, fighting in, in like you know, standing up for yourself. And if you, I think if like the crypto industry just like doesn't learn how to fight for itself, it'll just end up like rolling, rolling over. And so like, there is something about like growing a spine and taking it to the courts. Granted, uh, I mean, this is a very like naive young person's takes like, oh, the system, fuck it. Like, we'll just fight it and we'll have our way. And then the system comes in and wrecks you because that's what the system does. Don't you think it's kind of like, why can't we do both sort of thing, right? Sure. It's just like use the courts for what they're good at, which is when a regulator right. oversteps their bounds. So maybe, um, maybe the Terra, um, chain right. has a, has a point, the SEC coming in, like basically, uh, serving Doquan and then Doquan yeah. serving the SEC right in retaliation. Yes. <laughs> I mean, maybe, maybe you could do that, but you're not going to get comprehensive, right. like policy positioning right. clarity from, mm-hmm. you know, a few court cases that you win or lose. Right. I think that's the big takeaway is that like courts are granular and legislation is broad and we crypto needs sweeping broad regulation we need a lot of things to be changed and winning in courts is incremental and it could get us to where we want it to be but yeah like the shortcut is just straight up legislation importantly legislation by people we actually elected rather than people we didn't um which chris was very very attuned to is like i'm not an elected official why am I being asked to have like make a political move about whether we accept Bitcoin at CFTC or not? Uh, but that's that's interesting because that 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 seems to be sort of discretionary, like almost up to the regulator, right? So that was Chris's position, mm-hmm. like, hey, I don't want to make political decisions, right? right. Okay, so stop asking me right. to do that. But some regulators, when asked to do that, will be like, okay, yeah, it's like, like, oh, thank you for the opportunity. Yeah. Well, yes, we'll we'll go do that. We'll go fix that. And it, you know, it's because there's this ambiguity. There's right. a lot of ambiguity, right? right? Between the 1930s and 1940s, where some of this case law, some of this legislation was proposed and where we are now. Mm-hmm. And who interprets that ambiguity? 
well, if Congress doesn't, right. regulators right. are right. left to interpret it. And there's right. a lot of leeway for their right. interpretation. So they do have a lot of power in these situations. And not all of them say, hey, Congress, you decide right. because I wasn't elected. Right, right. Yeah, it, when Congress leaves ambiguity on the table, it, that's what creates that vacuum of power that all the agencies try and start jostling for. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. What do you think of his closing advice for uh, the younger generation, young people talking about um, free market capitalism mm. as uh, not a source I, of misery and opposition? It's, right. a, it's an antidote. Um, right. Yeah, there's that, there's that big anti-capitalism bent coming out of like young people and the left these days. And I, I was once one of those people. I, I wore a Che Guevara t-shirt to middle school one day. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I was, I've been there. Uh, and what do you uh, yeah. think of it now? Like, so like, uh, all of this is an evolution, right? Like, mm-hmm. you, you know, everyone kind of, you learns more about the world and this sort of thing. And like, mm-hmm. um, what is your take on, right. on yeah. this stuff? Free market, free market capitalism is neutral and it's the people that, that leverage these markets that dictate whether it's good or evil. And so neutral markets can be a force for good or a force for evil, depending on how they are being used. And right now, free market capitalism in the United States is being used and manipulated by um, lobbying efforts, which is like legalized corruption, uh, and then actual straight up corruption. Uh, and this is why crypto is so important. And I hope that crypto can remove this bias against free market capitalism by instilling yes. good natures into the markets themselves and allowing other people to check on other, everyone else, right? Removing the corruption conversation. And, and I think this is starting to be seen in like the NFT markets where like art and culture is now being funded by the free market in ways that it's never been done before. So ho- hopefully we can like, I think a large part of like this like radical left anti-capitalism bent is just like, again, a, a little bit ouroboric, a little bit of a snake biting its own tail, like too far gone. Like this is what they believe because they believe it because they believe it. But for everyone le- uh, left, we can show, show the world that like capitalism and markets can solve some of our most fundamental problems. Two of those examples that we see are KlimaDAO using the free market to suck up carbon out of, out of, uh, out of the air. And then also ENS. Um, ENS is a little bit more of a, of, of a niche, but it's a great way to illustrate how free markets can price valuable social systems, valuable public goods and it's protect a, them. So even something like ENS, right? It's a niche now, but it has um, the potential to solve a big problem that I think um, people on the left see which is mm-hmm. like big tech companies control our data, yes. right? So what's what's the left solution to that? Uh, it's basically, we need more regulation. We need to break up the big tech companies, right? right. Mm-hmm. But what's ENS's solution to that is like single sign-on Ethereum self-sovereign identity. Right. And it's just like- And you don't need to break ENS up because it's already broken up. We distributed yes. the airdrop to 137,000 people. Yes. How much more breakup can you get? <laughs> exactly. And this this goes back to why why I think crypto is very much not a left or a right thing, right? So like people on the on the right would find something to to like about that, which is, you know, probably hopefully, probably, you know, you know, free markets and some self-sovereignty. And people on the left are like, yeah, this gets gets the power out of incumbents' hands and Mark Zuckerberg and the big tank companies, and that's what we're after. It's just like I think if you operate under the assumptions of the old system you come to different conclusions. Mm-hmm. But when you think about the future of a new system, right? Like y- you also come to different conclusions and more optimistic conclusions, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like, it's like shifting that mindset um, is, is going to be important here. So 
Is that what I should write about for the Market Monday? Is about how the Uniswap airdrop, the ENS airdrop, these retroactive airdrops are Web3 companies breaking themselves up as soon as possible rather than great. being forced? I think, I think we that's, should talk I think that's about great. that more. Yeah. I think we should talk about that. That's a great I think angle. Web3 is really important yes. for, for crypto. And the, the other thing I would say is like what, what, one other mental model tweak I might have with Chris is like um, he talked about um, self-sovereignty, right? And less less kind of group type decisions near the end, right? And I understand what he's saying. It's like basically in large groups, um, you know, people lose the ability to kind of govern well and govern wisely and make um, good individual decisions. Mm -hmm. But let's not discount small group sovereignty, okay? Mm -hmm. And this is something I feel like uh, Ethereum really brings to the table. It's like Bitcoin, the emphasis is on, like I'm a Bitcoiner, like I got my keys, my private keys, I'm going to hold them. And I got my AK-47, you know? <laughs> my and whereas Citadel, like yeah. in my Citadel, whereas like Ethereum is like, cool, but also solar punk this mm -hmm. and let's create a small community, cooperative, uh -huh. collaborative, coordinated community of capital and build something together as, as a community. It doesn't have to be this monolithic, right. like, you know, institutional structure Mm -hmm. Right. It can be a small, it can be small group sovereignty. And I, and I do think crypto has that too. That's why a I compound. I, yeah. A, yeah citadel, a, comp a citadel compound. Yeah. It's, it's, yes, exactly. Like a city state or something like yeah, some city smaller state, right. unit mm -hmm. of, of um, economic mm -hmm. activity. Anyway, I, I, th this is why we always go back to is like bankless is not a political podcast in terms of right or left, but it's very much a political movement in terms of like bottom versus top. Right. And I think there's, there's something for, for everybody here. Yep. Um, anything well, else? Everybody, except for the people at the top. <laughs> yeah. If you're an authoritarian, if you want to control people, not like, a fan, screw you. <laughs> <laughs> change your ways. Okay. Yeah. Check yourself. Yeah. Um, anything else? Nothing for me, sir. All right. Good podcast. Crypto dad. Are there any, uh, is there crypto grandpa out there? Any other family relatives you can get? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, well, I mean, we didn't ask if he is, uh, uh, if his, any of his kids have kids, but like maybe yeah, if they did, he did it's technically crypto grandpa. Yeah. In the future. Mm -hmm. we'll, we'll see. We will be back with crypto grandpa at some point. Fun fact about this episode is right while we were talking about optimism and, uh, just, uh, excitement about the future, uh, ether broke its all time highs. Yeah. Wait, mm -hmm. wait, you, you, you check prices. During it's, the podcast, it's right? It's a habit <laughs> always pulled up right here. Yeah, uh -huh. he's always checking prices. Yeah, uh -huh. every That's time you secret. see me look to my left, yeah, my uh -huh. secret cap. I'm always but left, right. looking left to my uh, and up is looking at our podcast agenda. Looking left and down is the chart. God, now I freaking know. Yeah. It's like <laughs> eyes up here, David. Okay, <laughs> eyes up here. All right, guys, this has been the debrief. Thanks for hanging with us.